0: This morning, our passage in Ephesians. Go ahead and turn there. As a matter of fact, Ephesians chapter five. This morning, it deals with sexual immorality primarily. And uh, before we go there, uh, I first must, for all of us, remind ourselves that talking about sexual immorality without talking about the foundation for it, the reason to not go that direction is Jesus Christ would be futile for me. In other words, talking about immorality without the gospel is nothing as what Ron said earlier, legalism. And uh so I'd I'd like to do it's been three weeks since we've been in Ephesians, so I want to back up for a few minutes before we actually read our passage together this morning and back up to remind ourselves to review a little bit. And that's what I want to do for our scripture reading this morning. The chapters one, two and three of the book of Ephesians is nothing but doctrine, teaching. Paul saying, this is our salvation, this is how blessed we are in Christ. As a matter of fact, chapter 1, verse 3, Paul begins the letter by saying, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, and here's the phrase, in Christ. In Christ. How blessed we are in Christ. You know, one of the aspects of Christian living, the Christian life, is learning just how blessed we are. And Paul, throughout chapter 1 and going into chapter 2, explains just how blessed we are. And so that's how he unfolds chapter 1, which goes into chapter 2, which reminds us that it's all of grace. That's why he has verses 1 through 2 and 3 in chapter 2 saying how dead we are in our sins, but then verse 4, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he has loved us made us alive together with Christ mercy for by grace you have been saved so chapter one this is how blessed you are in Christ in Christ you are redeemed in Christ you are sealed by the Holy Spirit in him you have an inheritance in him you are so loved infinitely and eternally God and these blessings by the way are not temporal they are what eternal in scope not just temporal Okay, and then in chapter two he says, "All what I talked about in chapter one, all these blessings are by my grace, are by the grace. That you've not <laughs> earned it. You didn't work for it. They are bestowed upon you." Chapter two, and then he gets to chapter three, continuing to talk about doctrine, and he reminds us that this, this 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 saving grace, this eternal gift of eternal life, extends to even the Gentiles, the vilest the of sinners. Okay, that's chapter three. Now having established the truth of God's grace in chapters one, two, and three that we find in Christ, now Paul in chapters four, five, and six teaches us how we are to live, how we are to respond to this grace. That's why chapter four, verse one, therefore, I the prisoner of the Lord implore you, encourage you, urge you to walk. That means live in a manner worthy of the gospel, the good news. Our walk should reflect what God has done for us, chapter 1 and chapter 2. So you see where Paul's going here. He's saying, here's the doctrine in chapters 1, 2, and 3. Now here's the shoe leather. Okay, This is what it's to look like in real everyday life of yours. Okay? Well, he continues on in chapter 4. We are to walk worthy, verse 1. We are to walk in unity, chapter 4. We are to walk differently, verse 17. And we are to walk in love, chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. And that's why I'd like to start with this morning. So let's stand together, and we're going to read chapter 5, verses 1 through 14. Chapter 5, verses 1 through 14. We'll read it together. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us an offering and a sacrifice to God as a great aroma, But immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness, silly talk, or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater, has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason it says, Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine upon you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, conform us to the image of Christ. I pray, dear God, right now at this moment, that is the greatest desire of our heart, Not what might come next week. Not hoping for anything else. Not desiring anything else stronger than wanting to be conformed to the image of Christ. To follow after our Master's example. Because He's already given us eternal life. Because we are already secure for all eternity in Him. Because He came and gave His life, got up on that cross, and, and, and took upon Himself my sins, our sins. And You raised Him from the dead. God, You did all that. The only reasonable response we can give God is to say, conform us to the beauty of our Master, our Savior, our Lord, our friend, the greatest lover of our soul that is our King. Oh God, I pray there would be no greater desire, no greater urge than to want you to do that in our lives. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. This morning I do want us to look at these 14 verses. I'm hoping to get through them all. If not, we'll just pick up next week if I don't get through all 14 verses this morning. After looking at this section of Scripture, verses 1 through 14, I've come to realize and really believe that they all go together, they fit together well. I know I already preached through verses 1 and 2, imitating the love of God, but what I think happens here in verse 3 is that Paul brings a contrast to the love of God. So when you read in verse 3, but immorality or impurity or greed must not even be named among you, after saying... Beloved children, walk in love, verse 2. Just as Christ also loved you. In verse 3, he gives a contrast. He's now saying, here's how the world views love. Okay? This is their interpretation of love. This is what you get from them. It's in contrast to the love of God. Okay? To love he wants us to imitate. And that's why we have verse 3. But immorality... But, in contrast to the love of God, in verse 1 and 2, immorality, impurity, or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. And so, that's what I'm treating verses 1 through 14 as a package this morning. So, let's take a moment or two and look at the first point, and that is God's love in verse 1 and 2. And then we'll go into verses 3 through 6, which is the world's love, and then we'll look at verses 7 through 14, the, the encouragement the, the admonition to walk as children of light, which really sums up this section here. So first point, God's love, verses 1 and 2. In short, God's love is seen and understood by what he has already demonstrated for us in Christ. Romans 5, 8, God demonstrated his love for us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ, what, died for us. Okay? He died for us. Verse 2, notice verse 2, in chapter 5, what does it say? the middle phrase, he gave himself up for us. This is where we begin to find, flesh out the definition of God's love. It's selfless. It is sacrificial and it's unconditional. Think of those three terms right there in your mind. It is a selfless love, it is a sacrificial love, and it is unconditional. This is how Christ loved us. He sacrificed himself. And there were no conditions when he went to the cross, was there? Well, I'm going to do this only if you keep your end of the deal, then I'll go to the cross and I'll die for you. No. Unconditional, sacrificial, selfless. In other words, by selfless, he did not consider or hold on to his rights as God. What does our world tell us? All over the place, nonstop, 24-7, what? Your rights. You have rights. Well, give the Bible says. Give them up for the glory of God. Now, how in the world can we do that? You're secure. Well, in the getting up of my rights, I might die. Hey, for me to live is Christ, Paul says in Philippians. To die is what? Gain. It's a win win situation, beloved. That's challenging. That, that's a picture of selflessness. Notice in the very next letter that Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, he says in verse 5, had this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ. He's always talking to Christians, look to Christ and how to live, look to Christ and how to live. If you want to know how to live as a follower of Christ, you want to live as a child of God, you look to Christ always. Had this attitude, who though he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. He did not hold on to his right as God. The second verse of the Trinity. What did he do? Verse 7 emptied himself. It doesn't mean he stopped being God, but he took a lot of the He took those attributes of deity and he put them on the shelf, so to speak, and refused to use them. He didn't stop being God, but he humbled himself as God. Whoa. Wow. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross because he knew his father would raise him from the dead. Do you know this minute that God will raise you from the dead because of what Christ has done for you? Do you have that confidence? Do you have that assurance? Do you know where it comes from? Let's see where it comes from. Let's back up to chapter 5 in Ephesians. It's how we live. Okay? Let's flesh this out. A little bit more now now we talked about using the connective in verse 3 but immorality and purity of greed must not even be named among you in other words Paul saying here's God's love verse 1 and 2 we gaze and look at the splendor the majesty the beauty of Christ we learn about the scriptures where we are seeing the, the epitome the most beautiful example of God's love demonstrated when we look to Christ But now let me give you something that's contrary and actually counterfeit type of love from the world. Described in three words, verse 3. Immoral, impure, and greed. Immorality, impurity, and greediness. These three are antithetical to the selflessness and the sacrificial, unconditional love of God. Paul often does this in all his letters. He uses contrast to teach. Here's the real deal. Here's the counterfeit. here's Satan's counterfeit, here's the word of God, it's what God says. It's what God says, here's the world's contrast, This is contrary to what you'll see in the world, what what is promoted by the world. Paul often does that when you read over and over again his letters, he does that probably a hundred times at least. Reminds me of what Jesus said, listen to these words out of Luke, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. To deny yourself is selflessness to take your up your cross daily is sacrifice Jesus said it's going to take those two things to follow me all Paul is doing here in Ephesians chapter 5 is, is, is kind of explaining what it looks like in shoe leather what Jesus taught back in the gospel of Luke let's look at these three words the world's love first of all is perverted because of the immorality, the impurity, and greed. Let's look at these three words for a moment. He uses the word immorality as the general word for pornea, where we get the word what? Pornography. Okay? Oh my, it's saturated. Everywhere. Phones, computer, forget the magazines. That's old school. But every time the world creates something, it's almost like it's another way for us to see it. Technology. there's some good to it, but what do sinners do? They they, they can take what is good and they fit different and more ways to sin. Refers to sexual sins like pornography, adultery, fornication. Here's the next word, impure. Impure means it's a general term also referring to anything unclean or filthy. How about, it's related to immoral, filthy thoughts. Passions, ideas, fantasies that you might have about another man or another woman. Don't raise your hand. Have you ever had to struggle with that in one way, shape, or form? Yes, we have. You hear what I just said? It's reality. That's why Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. When you have, when your thought life starts messing with you, when you start thinking of what it's like to be with another man or another woman, that's why it's so important to be in God's word, because those thoughts will come when you don't expect it. In the morning when you get up, or sometime when you're alone for a while, or you're watching a TV show or something. Those those thoughts are constantly being, being threaded to us. And if you let those thoughts foster in your mind, in your head, it's like a bird, you know, you, you can't prevent the bird from, from landing on your head, but you can keep them from planting or, or creating a nest. <laughs> Shoot. Bring every thought captive to Christ. God, these, these thoughts that I have right now in my mind, I know they're wicked. They're vile. They're perverted. God, help me to deal with them right now. Go to prayer. At that moment, go to prayer. At that moment, open your Bible. Memorize verses because they're fighter verses to help you in that moment when you need to fight your flesh. We're Christians. This is how we live. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is our Christianity in shoe leather. It's not like once I became a Christian, all these things flee and I don't have to mess with these thoughts anymore. No. they war warlike never before. Immorality. Impurity. What about greed? The word greed means never satisfied. Did you know that your flesh is never satisfied? Do you know you go back to chapter 4 and it talks about the old man, right? The old fleshly ways. It's, it's, it's always there. Uh, the lust of the seat in verse 22 of chapter 4. Paul already talked about this in one way, shape, or form. Okay? Look at verse 19 of chapter 4. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to what? Sensuality, for the practice of every kind of there's the word impurity with what? greediness what are you saying Paul? Like, what are you getting at here? what he's getting at here is that those immoral impure thoughts and thinking and lifestyle will never ever be satisfied you always want more that's the way the flesh is that's the way the world is It's never satisfied. And so what Paul's doing in 3, 4, 5, and 6, he's describing the worldliness. He's describing the world's uh, uh, counterfeit love. So the word greed is a cousin to covetousness, isn't it? You covet him. You covet her. You covet that feeling. You covet whatever that is, whatever that looks like. You know what I'm saying? That's what pornography is. Is you're, you're coveting that. You want it. You can't get enough of it. So you go back to it over and over and over again. It is a vicious evil cycle. So, immorality and purity are forms of greed in the realm of sexual sins. Did you get that? These first two words of immorality and impurity are forms of greed in the area of sexual sins. Because sexual sins are so attracted to the flesh. And and. And they're full of false promises. It'll make you feel better. It'll make you feel more important. But then that flees and you gotta go back. And you gotta go back. It's very deceptive. But that's Satan's scheme, isn't it? And that's what the world feeds us all the time. And as a result, these sexual sins, uh, they have these false promises. That move men and women to go different directions, and they destroy families and marriages. And children are neglected. And what Paul's saying here in verse 3 is that the world promotes a selfish love. God promotes a sacrificial love. A selfless love. The world promotes a selfish love. It, the world tells us to love ourselves Follow your own desires. David says, follow your own heart. Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitful above all else. Well, which might to believe? The world telling me, follow your heart's desire. Or, or, or Jeremiah, that warns us, your heart is deceitful. Desperately sick. you going to trust God or trust the world? The world tells us, to pursue our passions. Pursue what makes us feel. Pursue your dreams. We're fed that all the time. I don't see that in scripture anywhere, do you? Pursue Christ. Paul tells Timothy, pursue righteousness. Right? That's why in verse 5, go go down to verse 5. For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or what? Covetous man. I think that word covetous is parallel to the word greed he mentions in verse 3. So a greedy person is going to be a covetous person. They want, they got to have, and they want more and more and more. And they'll do whatever it takes to get it. The word covet is just synonymous for greed and with lust. So it is to want to do something so bad, it's all you think about. It consumes your thinking. I got a question. Everyone look at me right now. What kind of thoughts consume your mind throughout the week? Is it Christ? Or is it somebody else? Because when somebody else, that person becomes an idol to you. Right? Is it a feeling? Is it a thing? Is it an event? Go back this last week and think about what you thought about. Think about how you've been thinking. Is there somebody or someone or something or some feeling that's been dominating your your, your thinking process? Your thought life? Is it an infatuation? And Paul's saying, this is, what, this is the way the world thinks. This is not the way the Christian thinks. This is not worthy of Christian living. If someone who is covetous, someone who, someone who lusts and has greed they want something so bad, it's all they think about. It consumes their thought life. Instead of verse 10. Go down to verse 10. Listen to this. Does this describe us? Does this, does this describe you? Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Does that describe us? Does that describe you? How do you do that? Are you in the Word? Are you in fellowship with other Christians? Do you talk about Jesus? Do you talk about how God is changing you? How you want to be changed? How you are really trying and struggling to walk in Christ and to be obedient to Him because of who He is, how beautiful and awesome He is? Does this describe us? Are you described by verse 10? Are you one who's trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord? Is that the desire of your heart? Because when all these other things like immorality or impurity and greed and covetousness come in, they displace the desire to follow Christ. Where are you putting your time? Not only go back the last week or the last month and think about what's been dominating your thought life, but what's been dominating your time? How do we spend our time. Go down to verse 15 to 16. Had has nothing to do with where we're at, but it's close. No wonder Paul says in verse 15 to 16, Therefore be careful how you walk, how you live, not as unwise men, but as wise. Look at verse 16, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. Are, we, are you making the most of your time as a follower of Jesus Christ? Wow. Redeem the time. Take it and use it for God's glory. Let's go on. Next in verse 4, back up towards the beginning of chapter 5, Paul focuses on the sexual sins of the tongue. I think verses 3, excuse me, verse 3, he's talking about the sexual sins of the body. So he uses terms like immorality and impurity, Greek general terms. Now you get to verse 4, and these are more related to the tongue, what comes out of our mouth. Let me read it, for there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting. Just like he had three terms in verse 3 referring to the sins of the sexual sins of the body, he now uses three terms to describe these sexual sins that come out of our mouth. Let's look at this. Filthiness has to do with general obscenities. Talk that is degrading. In first, Col- I mean, first Colossians, in Colossians 3, eight. The meaning has to do... The same word means dirty speech. Dirty speech. The next word is what? Silly talk? Verse 4. Silly talk. Refers to dull or stupid. That's what the Greek word means in other contexts. Foolish talk. Talk that has no point to it. That has no purpose to it. It leads nowhere. It's, It's empty. It's foolish. And Paul's saying, that there must be no filthiness and silly talk. And here's the third one, coarse jesting. What does that mean? It refers to talk that is more pointed. It turns something which is normal and innocent into that which is perverted. This person desires to display their immoral wit or sexual innuendos or dirty jokes. You get it? This is what Paul, he's saying, this is not conducive to being a follower of Christ. You go back to chapter 4, verse 1. I'll talk about walking worthy of the manner of your call. You're being called to child of God. You've been redeemed by Christ. So living this way is not walking a worthy walk. So what does it say in verses 5 and 6? He says simply this. There's a penalty for those who eventually, continually walk this way and talk this way. Notice what it says. This characterizes people with these sins. that have this sin pattern and habitual. They'll find no place in the kingdom of heaven. For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater. Wow. A covetous person is what? Is an idolatrous person. Because they want something more than Christ. And when you want something more than Christ, you will what? You will go, you will go after that at the expense of Christ. And that becomes your idol. The idol of your heart. And how do I know that? Because that's what your mind's thinking about all the time. I've got to have him. I've got to have her. I've got to have this thing or that thing. And it consumes your mind at that moment. The Bible clearly calls that your idolizing. And look at verse 6. Well, let me finish verse 5. Excuse me. No immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater, has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. And then he says, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things that he's talked about in verse 3 and verse 4, because of this lifestyle, because of the immorality, the impurity, and the greediness, because of the pattern of filthiness and silly talk and coarse jesting, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Let, let me write this down real quick and I didn't have this in my notes but it's so I thought about it during the week and you know, I'm just going to go ahead and say it this really reflects what John is saying in 1 John chapter 3 verse 10, now listen very carefully I think this just adds to what we're talking about here, what Paul's talking about in Ephesians by this the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious not because they walk down the aisle and trusted Christ, not because they said the sinner's prayer Not because they give, not because they're involved in ministry and work. Verse 10. By this, the children of God, the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. There's a litmus test here for our security in Christ to know that we are actually in Christ. Look at how we live. We should be living different from the world, not perfect but different, right? I've stressed that over and over and over again. It's not living perfectly for Christ, but it's living for Christ in an imperfect manner, but we're living for Christ. And we desire to, to, to be obedient to his word. We, we want to yield to his word. We submit to him. We, we want to be obedient. I want to be conformed to the image of Christ, and that's why I prayed as an introductory prayer this morning. Oh God, conform us to the image of Christ. But in verses 5 and 6, Paul tells us the penalty, he gives us the penalty for those who are characterized by these sins listed in verse 3 and in verse 4, these sexual immoral sins, whether the body or and or the tongue. And usually, usually, probably most of the time, those who have the immoral words that come out of their mouth in one way, shape, or form are doing it with the body, with their eyes with the ears worldwise. otherwise. This is no surprise, 5 and 6, because we are told this in other passages of scripture. Let me just read a couple of them. Galatians chapter 5, verse 21. Verse 19, Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality and <laughs> Same words over and over again, right? Sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, actions. And he goes on, then he says this, but which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Same language, same wording, right? First Corinthians chapter 6, go back a couple more letters. First Corinthians chapter 6. Paul gives us warning again to a different church. Verse 9 and 10. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. How many times you hear that phrase? Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Don't think for one minute you can just say, I believe in you, Jesus, and continue going down that same path and living that same lifestyle without repentance. That's what Paul's saying, isn't it? He? Hey, don't be deceived. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminates nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. And unless we get so arrogant, he has verse 11, such were some of you. But you were washed. But you were sanctified. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the spirit of our God, let us never. When we talk about morality and we see an immoral society, culture, and world, and people around us, it is very humbling to be reminded that some were some were some of you, such were some of you. That's from whence God delivered you. So that when we address the world, we go to a sinner that's in that lifestyle. We don't come this way. We come this way. With a humble attitude, with the attitude of Christ. Let's continue on in our passage this morning as we get to verse seven through fourteen. Verse seven through fourteen: Walk as children of light. Let me look at my—I have no clock in here. Whoa! <laughs> lightning fast, lightning round. Okay, <laughs> seven through fourteen. It's pretty obvious that Paul's point is 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 what it is it's quite clear that we're different we're no longer the same we were once in darkness and now now we are light let us look at verse seven therefore do not be partakers with them in other words therefore verse seven based upon verses three through six you're not supposed to what but partake with them and then verse eight for this reason because you were formerly darkness but now you are light in the lord notice he does not say look look at your bible He does not say, the Greek text does not say this. He does not say, but now, but you were formerly in darkness. He says, you were formerly darkness. You weren't that way because you were the darkness. You were that way because that's your character. Before Christ, that was your character. That one little preposition, you're not in. He left it out to remind us that was your character. God's word's perfect. Even a preposition speaks to us, or the lack thereof. In this case, you were formerly darkness, but now—and that's past tense, by the way—in the Greek, that's in the past tense. Now it goes to, but now, present tense, you are light in the Lord. And as he says, walk that way. Be who God made you to be. Be who you are in Christ. You are a new creature. Act that way. Be that way. That's how God chose you to be. Then in verse 9, For the fruit of the light consists of goodness and righteousness and truth. Again, I like the threes that Paul has here in this section. He gives us three words. As light, we we are described to produce three kinds of fruit. Goodness, okay? Look at verse 9. Goodness and righteousness and truth. Do not partake means share. Do not share together with them do not commune with. The word goodness in this section means moral excellence. Not just I'm a good person. It means more than. It means moral excellence. It is found in Galatians 5.22 in a list of what? The fruit of the spirit. Goodness is one of them. Moral excellence. It means to do excuse me, what is morally right. So after goodness is righteousness. Now, part of that word righteousness See, he says the light consists of goodness and righteousness and truth. Goodness refers to moral excellence. What does righteousness refer to? Theologians have come up with two terms to describe righteousness. Term number one is called a forensic righteousness. in oh, the world is that. It's a scientific term, forensic science. Okay? Okay? It simply refers to, or it's a legal term that theologians use to refer to the righteousness which Christ gives to be justified. It's the perfect. It's the holy. Okay, he he, impar- he imputes it to you. That's why you're justified. That's what saves you. His righteousness saves you, not the righteousness that you do later on. That's the second term for righteousness. It's called practical righteousness. Simple puts our obedience. Our obedience does not save us. Right, right. Christ's righteousness, His obedience, His perfect life saves. So that's how you distinguish the two. And theologians come up with these fancy words like forensic righteousness, okay? To, to describe what Christ did. His righteousness is given to us. And now we're talking about, Paul's talking about the second one, practical righteousness. That's why Paul told Timothy, pursue righteousness. And it simply means what? Obey. Let's try to bring it down in real life here. You, you read scripture? I better stop that. because God says, don't do that. And that's the righteousness that Paul has in mind here. That's part of the fruit of the spirit. Goodness, righteousness. And then truth, truth, has to do with honesty and integrity. Again, these are in contrast to the old ways. <clears throat> See, when, 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 you, when you want a, a sinner who pursues a morality, purity or greed, they hide it. They're not honest. What's going on in private is not true what's going on in public. They're lacking integrity. Now, stop right there. We all have done that to one degree or another, have we not? As believers, what happens? Paul's like a father right now, encouraging the church at Ephesus. Stop that! God's aware of this. this. This is not us. Move forward. It's, I always go back to First John because First John is about assurance of salvation, and I love what John says in First in Chapter One. He says, "If you confess your sins, he's talking about fellowship with God." He is righteous to forgive you of your sins. And before and after that verse, he says, you can't say that you have no sin in you, and you cannot say that you have not sinned. That's 8 and 10. In between, he says, if you confess your sins, listen, confession and repentance is the lifestyle of the Christian. If his lifestyle is part of our life, it's what we do, it's part of who we are. And it begins the first moment you trust Christ as your Lord and Savior. Because the light of the gospel shed on your life and you see that all your good things will never get you to heaven. And you also would then have done plenty of bad things. Right? So, so you want to repent of all those bad things? You even want to repent or no longer rely on all the good things you've done anymore because you see Christ for who he is and his righteousness is the perfect righteousness. His right, what he has done, how he has lived is the only thing God would accept. How do you know that? He raised him from the dead. Amen? So we trust in his life. We trust in his work. We trust in his person. We utterly depend upon him for eternal life and his present life right now. In verses 11 through 14, we are not to what? Participate in observation. Notice what he says in verse 7. Do not partake. And in verse 11, do not participate. Do not participate here Do not fellowship with, do not go alongside with others who do this. If you know of people who talk this way, if you know of people who live an immoral life and are impure, you know people like that, don't go out with them where they do these things. If you want to go witness to somebody who you know has a drinking problem, they go to the bar, don't go meet them at the bar. Amen? Amen. (laughs) You tell them to come over to your house, you're going to have a Coke, and you can share the gospel with them. (laughs) <laughs> or meet him at a coffee house or something. Right? But don't go in the pub. Because that's not what Paul means in 1 Corinthians 9, be all things are all men in order to be my some. <laughs> He's not saying that because that actually contradicts this passage of scripture that we're in this morning. Right, Jim? We also talk, he knows people that do that. He does not like it. and This is why. So I look at him. Notice what he says in verse 12. As we continue on, after he says, "Do not participate in unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead expose." Them. How do you expose them? Because you're a different life. Because you're going to say, "I cannot do that," and you're not going to say, "I cannot do that," or "I can't go with you when you're going to go do that," because I'm better than you. That is not the point. If that's how you think, then you're lost. It's because you have a Savior who loved You not love. to die for you when you were doing that, and therefore that's why you no longer want to do that. Is because of him. You take Jesus out of the picture, and all we're talking about is legalism. And legalism is vain religion. Right? Get you nowhere. There's gonna be a lot of legalists in hell. Matter of fact, all legalists will be in hell. Right? Notice verse twelve as we go on, for it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which they which are done by them in secret. It's vile. It's a disc- it shouldn't even be, we shouldn't even be talking about what they're doing in private. All in the world is just out there talking about it. It's all over the internet. And God, of it shouldn't be coming from our lips. No. It's so vile, so bad, we, should, we shouldn't even enter the Don't even enter the conversation. Don't even go there with your mouth. Some things are so vile they should not even be mentioned or discussed. Finally, in verses 13 and 14, since it is light that makes everything visible, look, look, just real quick, because you might be wondering about this like I did. Into verse 13, it says, For everything that becomes visible is light. There's other manuscripts that read, Light makes everything visible. I go with that interpretation of that. I look that up and look for other people to take that as well. Okay. Uh, kind of makes more sense to me and particularly in the context and so what he's saying is that our life, when we follow Christ and pursue him our obedience is like a light a beacon of the gospel to a dark and fallen and lost world God's saying this you want to evangelize? start with how you live follow Christ, be a disciple be conformed to his image that's what's going to make the world wake up. Not you going where they're at and doing what they're doing. And, and, and just talk, you know going along and fellowshipping with them and saying, Hey, I'll go to the pub with you. I'll go this way. No, we're told not to here. Here's the question. You know what really is going to make evangelism take off with this church? And with our the church in, the, in this world? When the church stops being like the world. Then the world's going to start asking questions because we're different it'll be threatened because light threatens darkness Christ threatened the Pharisees he threatened the scribes he threatened all the religious leaders because as the light of the world he was showing them that they were really darkness so let me close with these words from Matthew chapter 5 verses 14 through 17 just listen this is from Jesus himself. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives, so that it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works, your obedience, as you are walking with the Lord Jesus Christ and glorify your Father who is in heaven let's pray oh God all of this is based on what Christ has done for us as a matter of fact what Ron said earlier our lives, how we live should be a great big thank you our obedience is our way of saying thank you our getting in your word every day is our way of saying God we thank you and we love you coming to church is, God, thank you for saving me. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for all the blessings, eternal blessings I have in Christ. God, may our lives be a great big thank you. And God, give us the strength. Give us the power. Give us the courage. Give us the ammunition of the scripture to say no to the immorality that has just permeated this world. The impurity And the greediness and the covetousness and and, and God the filthiness the silly talk and the coarse jesting get it out of our lives because it wasn't in Jesus and we want to be like our Lord and those who have that hope of being like him purify themselves because he is pure 1 John 3, 4 God we love you thank you for this day You are holy, holy, holy. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.